Well, good morning, everybody. Wow, we're a little more evened out left to right today. This is great. I don't have to list to one side. Uh, hope everybody is having a wonderful Sunday, a wonderful week. I am so sorry for the children who have had to go back to school this week. How many, go, how many went back this week? How many went back like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? How many go back this week? This coming week sometime. How many are not until like the 30th or 31st? Yeah, right? Yeah, we're all jealous of those people, right? But then, of course, we get out like the 1st of June and they're in until the 15th. But uh, whatever you're doing, um, I'm praying for you guys as you go back to school. Uh, I go back to school tomorrow and have no idea what I'm going to be doing. But uh, I'm going to just fake it until... I come up with something, and of course, students, you guys know that that's what your teachers do, right? We don't, we don't actually plan anything. We just, uh, we just make it up as we go along and, and hope that uh, you absorb some of it. <laughs> um, this morning, um, the name of our sermon this morning is, is, What Does God Want? And I don't know if my slides are working or not, or if this is working or not. There we go. There it is. All right. Um, before we talk about the sermon, though, um, I want to tell you a little story this morning about somebody that you may have learned about in history class. So for, for my students that are here this morning, you may uh, remember this guy pretty well. For those of you who haven't been in school for a while, it might uh, be a little bit of a refresher. But the man's name is uh, George Washington Carver. Anybody heard of George Washington Carver? What is George Washington Carver known for, Glenn? Peanuts. Peanuts. Absolutely right. He is, he is actually best known for saving the agricultural economy of the rural south. So we think peanuts. But he actually saved an entire economy in the south in the United States. See, uh, in the south, cotton was the primary crop. That was what was grown, that was what was sold, it made a lot of money for a lot of people. But by the early 1900s, the, the over-farming of cotton had caused the soil to become depleted uh, so that things just did not grow or did not grow as well as when the soil has all of its nutrients. And Carver knew that uh, peanuts were good for depleted soil, growing these peanuts. And he tried to convince the farmers that they should plant peanuts because of the, the, the soil being so depleted. And he explained that if you rotate your, your cotton crops and your peanut crops, that things would go really well for the cotton when you were growing it. But the problem was, farmers didn't see the value in peanuts. They didn't see that peanuts could be sold for anything. And why are we going to grow a whole crop and waste all of these resources for something we can't do anything with? Now, George Washington Carver kept thinking about this problem. How am I going to convince these farmers that what I'm saying is true, that it's actually going to help their businesses, help their economy? And according to Carver, he would go out in the woods each morning at 4 a.m. And he would talk with God. I don't know what's going on with this. So Carver said, all my life, I have risen regularly at 4 in the morning 
to go into the woods and talk with God. That's where he reveals his secrets to me. When everyone else is asleep, I hear God best. And isn't that true? How many of you uh, get up really early in the morning to pray or you wait at, until late at night when everybody's in bed and it's just quiet? And I don't know about you, but I, can, I, I feel like I can hear God talking to me better when he has my attention, when I'm not distracted by all of these things and remotes that don't work and, and you know, <laughs> students that are giving me all kinds of trouble in classes. Well, one morning while he was talking with God, Carver actually asked God to show him uh, not what to do about peanuts. He asked him to show him why God had created the peanut. And according to Carver, he told me, separate the peanut into water, fats, oils, gums, resins, sugars, starches, and amino acids. Break it all down. Then recombine these under my three laws of compatibility, temperature, and pressure. Then the Lord said, then you will know why I made the peanut. So Carver didn't just ask God, give me the answer for what I'm supposed to do. God said, explore my creation. Explore this thing that I have made. And you will learn all of the different things that a peanut can do. So Carver started experimenting with the peanut. He broke down all the components, put them all back together again in all kinds of di different configurations. And it's said that George Washington Carver discovered over 300 different uses for the peanut, including flour and paste, insulation. You could use the shells for insulation, paper, wallboard, wood stain, soap, shaving cream, skin lotion, and of course, my favorite, peanut butter. Love me some peanut. I actually have a jar of peanut butter at school, and every once in a while, I, you know, kids aren't looking. I just take a little spoon of peanut butter. <laughs> now, once he made these discoveries, once he figured out that you could do all kinds of things and make all kinds of things with this little peanut, the farmers started to realize the money that they could make by growing peanuts. And they started rotating their cotton crops and their peanut crops. And the agricultural economy recovered in the South in the early 1900s. And it was because George Washington Carver, first of all, it was because George Washington Carver looked to God. He looked to the Lord and he said, help me understand your creation better. Help me to know why you made this and what it can be used for. But that's not all that George Washington Carver did. Carver said, no individual has any right to come into the world and go out of it without leaving behind him distinct and legitimate reasons for having passed through it. Let me read that again. No individual has any right to come into the world and go out of it 
without leaving behind him or her distinct and legitimate reasons for having passed through it. He understood a deep biblical truth that God puts each person on earth for a purpose, that he has created us, and that we are greater than the sum of all of our parts, just like the peanut has over 300 uses, depending on how you break it down and put it back together. We have multiple uses. We have multiple purpose for being here. And Carver understood that God gives us physical and mental and spiritual gifts and that those gifts are not for our benefit. Those gifts are to fulfill real human needs. That's how Carter put it. My gifts, my abilities, the work that I do should fulfill real human needs. Carter understood the truth that we read about in Micah chapter 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Now, over the summer, we walked through a sermon series called Learning God. And the purpose of this sermon series was to find out all of the different ways that we could learn who God is, learn what God put us on this earth for, learn all of these things about God. We talked about spending time in Scripture, specifically spending time reading and memorizing and, and studying Scripture, hiding God's Word in our heart that we might not sin against Him. We talked about slowing down and finding time to spend with God in solitude and silence, to talk to God, to take the time to spend with Him and really listen for what He has to say. We talked about understanding that all that we have comes from God. All of the things that prosper us come from Him and that we honor Him with our generosity to others. We talked about God's expectation that we must do all that we can to help our children to understand and know God by talking about Him when we rise and when we walk throughout our day and when we lie down to sleep. We learned that God created rest for our bodies and rest for our souls by giving us the Sabbath and telling us to remember it and to keep it. And we talked about fasting, your favorite subject, <laughs> abstaining from food and drink and activities so that we might know and appreciate God's provision for our body and for our soul.
all these things, fasting and the praying and the Bible study and, and teaching and all of these things, these are known as spiritual disciplines. And they are things that God expects that we will do and sometimes even commands us to do so that we can get to know him and learn him. But sometimes, sadly, we can get so wrapped up in doing the things that we miss the why. We miss out on why we're praying and spending time with God and teaching our children and fasting and giving and doing all of those things. And some people might even expect that by doing all of these things that God expects me to do, that somehow God now has an obligation to bless me. Hey, I'm reading my Bible every day and I'm praying and I'm at the church six times a week and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm serving and I'm giving and I'm teaching and I'm doing all of this stuff. God owes me. That's what some people think. Some people think God should be prospering us financially because of the things that we do for him. And Jesus noticed this kind of attitude. This attitude's not new. People talk about all the prosperity gospel and they talk about all kinds of different things. This is not new. This is thousands of years old. Not long before Jesus was arrested and convicted and crucified, he had entered triumphantly into Jerusalem. And if you've ever seen a movie about Jesus uh, and his last week on earth, you always see that triumphal entry and people just, you see throngs of people waving these palm branches and laying things down at his feet as he rides in and they all, Hosanna in the highest, Jesus, you're the greatest. Woo! It's what it looks like, right? That's how they portray it in the man. That's probably how it was. Everybody was excited that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem because they thought that he was going to be the savior of Israel. They thought he was going to conquer the Romans. They thought that Israel could finally have peace and freedom from the slavery that they had experienced for thousands of years. And some other time we'll talk about why that was maybe not such a right thing that the Jews believed at the time. But this morning, I want to talk about a few days before Jesus' arrest. And we read in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 to 7, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the sh people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Phylacteries were these little boxes that they would wear on their arms or on their foreheads that had scriptures printed on them. And it's a whole Old Testament thing. We'll talk about that some other time. But they made them, they made these phylacteries, these boxes big, so that when I'm walking down the street, you're going to see Amazon.com phylactery box. <laughs> Look at me. I am holy. I got this from Amazon in two days. 
and their fringes long. And again, this is another one of those Old Testament things where they're supposed to wear their fringes on the bottoms of their clothes. And of course, you know, their fringes probably go right from their knee all the way down. You know, it's just a, a big thing. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Now, Jesus said all of this. And we have to understand that while Jesus was talking to the crowds, to his disciples, to the people that were following him, the Pharisees were there. The Pharisees could hear what Jesus was saying about them. Here's Jesus telling the Jews who scribes and Pharisees were supposed to kind of be over, that they don't practice what they preach. They create these man-made laws, and then they tell people that they have to follow those laws if they want to live lives pleasing to God. But then they don't do anything to help them to understand the laws so that they can do the things that are pleasing to God. Or maybe they twist God's law into man's law so that you can't really even know what it is you're supposed to do. They do their religious things for show, for the purpose of fame and fortune and human honor. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think that Jesus got the attention of the Pharisees and the scribes when he said this to the people? Do you think the Pharisees were standing there and, and, and just ignoring him? Because I'll tell you, people in the crowds were probably like, Jesus said that? They're standing, he's, they're standing right there. Peter was probably freaking out. Peter was probably saying, Jesus, <laughs> if Jesus hadn't gotten their attention with what he just said, he certainly gets them listening to what he says next in Matthew 23, 13 to 15. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Ouch. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he has become a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Proselyte is a follower. There is no mistaking that the Pharisees heard him that time if they didn't hear him before. I mean, I wasn't there. I know I'm old, but I wasn't there. But when I read this chapter, I kind of get the idea Jesus was a little angry. And he had good reason to be. Because if what he said was true... These people, the Pharisees and the scribes, were trying to keep all of these people away from his father. Away from the kingdom of heaven. I think he was a little bit angry. I wonder if Jesus didn't like start getting up in their faces a little bit. Every time he said something, he walked a little bit closer to their group. Until he got like right here. We'll skip down a bit. Jesus continues in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Forward to the next slide, please. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? That's what faithfulness means, walking humbly with your God. Now notice something here. Jesus didn't give them a pass on tithing. Jesus didn't say, oh, tithing doesn't matter. What he said was, yes, that is the commandment. That is something that God expects for the Jews to do. And you should do that. But you're making that more important than this. You're sitting there with your... How many of you grow herbs? Anybody grow herbs? Any, like the, the, the cumin and the, the whatever, all of these other things, they're tiny, aren't they? Now I want you to imagine the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes sitting there at their table or standing there in their barn or whatever, and, and they're counting out all of their tiny little leaves of mint. And, you know, one for God, nine for me. One for God, nine for me. And yet they're not concerned about justice. They don't have time to worry about mercy. And they're certainly not walking faithfully and humbly with their God. When we think about what Jesus is talking about here, we can't help but bring to mind the great commandment. Actually, the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. When we practice spiritual acts, spiritual disciplines, they are not an end to themselves. We don't just get up, read our Bible, check the box, and we're done for the day. That's not the purpose of reading the Bible. It's not the purpose of praying or giving or fasting. We do all of these things so that we can prepare ourselves to serve other people. We learn who God is. We learn that God is full of grace and full of mercy. And we learn that God is love because that's who we're supposed to be to other people. People of grace and people of mercy and people of love. What does God want? God wants us to do something. Don't just get up in the morning and pray and read your Bible and fast and do all of those things and think you're done for the day. God wants us to do something to alleviate the suffering of other people. Physical suffering, emotional suffering, spiritual suffering. The Bible tells this 
to us again and again. First Samuel 15:22, and Samuel said, "Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams." Learn God. Know what He is expecting of you. Know His commandments. Know the voice of the Lord. Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Psalm 51.17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Isaiah 58, 6 to 7, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless pour into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See it over and over and over again. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus talks about the king himself coming in glory on the last day. And he says this, to one group of people. He says, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Sounds a lot like Isaiah 58, 7. Share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. These people didn't know what Jesus was talking about. It goes on in verse 37, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. When is the last time that you looked at someone who was suffering and saw the face of Jesus? We got a really good setup here in the United States. We don't have to look at the suffering people. We can give to organizations 
They'll take care of the suffering, but we don't have to see the suffering people. And a lot of us, we do that, and, and, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody. Yeah, I give to Ruth's Harvest, that's feeding the hungry. I donate my old clothes to Goodwill, I'm clothing people. But I'm not feeding the hungry. I'm not clothing anybody. The reason I say this is because by giving to those organizations, I remove from myself the responsibility of seeing the hungry. I remove from myself the responsibility of seeing the naked. And I don't even want to think about seeing people in prison. How many of you would voluntarily just walk into a prison? I'm not one of those people. I should be. Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked. You saw my body and you covered it. Because by covering my body, you were covering my shame. By covering my body, you were showing me the love that nobody else was showing. Religion that is undefiled before God is this. To visit the widow and the orphan in their affliction. Let me give you a translation of that. Get your hands dirty. Get your hands dirty. Not just to visit the widow and the orphan, it's to visit the widow and the orphan in their affliction, see their suffering. Because when we see the suffering, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, the prayer is that we will empathize with their suffering. And if we empathize with their suffering, we will want to do something about it. Because we will say something like, but for the grace of God, go I. I could be that person. I could be that hungry person, that thirsty person, that naked person, that sick person. I could be in prison. And if I'm not willing to get down into the work and see these people, then I'm not really doing what God wants me to do. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? We can't do justice without seeing injustice. Injustices happen to people. And we're supposed to do something about it. Seek justice. We can't love mercy if we don't let ourselves get close to anybody. Because in order to be merciful, and there's another word for mercy in the translation of Micah 6.8, mercy is also translated as kindness. I can't show kindness to somebody if I'm not willing to walk with them if I'm not willing to do the things that they need to do to alleviate their own suffering? How can we be kind to people we don't let ourselves get close to? 
You want to know if you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ? No, I really don't. If you want to know if you're a real disciple of Jesus Christ, ask yourself these questions, and I'm asking myself these questions. When is the last time I sat down with a person suffering from hunger and thirst and ate with them? When's the last time I invited a complete stranger into my house? When's the last time I saw a naked person or even just a person wearing clothing that was so worn out that they may as well have been naked? Did I take them shopping for clothes? When's the last time I visited a sick person and spent time with them holding their hand, making them meals, doing things in their presence? rather than simply offering my thoughts and prayers. Do I even ever give a thought to people who are in prison? Or is my first thought of people in prison, well, they deserve to be in prison. They don't deserve mercy. They don't deserve my time. Have I ever really gotten down into the trenches with widows and orphans, seen their affliction, and then done something about it? Are these uncomfortable questions? Yeah. They're uncomfortable questions. Let me ask you this. What's more uncomfortable? The questions or the answers? Can you answer these questions in a way that is pleasing to God? And I know I can. I know I should want to. Next week, I'm going to talk about practical things that we ought to be doing as individuals, but especially as a congregation of people who claim to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we simply ask that you will allow your spirit to speak to us Convict us if we need convicting. To give us the desire for what you desire. To do the things that you have done through your son Jesus Christ while he was on earth. So that we might at least begin to alleviate suffering suffering in our churches, in our schools, in our offices, in our community, 
suffering that maybe we have chosen not to see. Father, open our eyes. Let us see what you see. Let us desire what you desire. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. He has told you, O man, and O woman, what is good, and what does he require of you but to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Seek, love, and walk this week. God bless you.